we come down then to uh, verse 10, their daring and their self-will that is they're reckless, they're prideful, these he is describing these false false prophets, their self-will, their their own authority. They do not tremble or dread or fear when they revile, or that word actually has to do with blasphemy. When they blaspheme, uh, it, here you have a mere mortal that uh, is is taking fast and loose things that are heavenly in one sense. They blaspheme these things. And um, he uses the phrase there in that text, when they revile angelic majesties, that word that's translated majesties there, and I hope I'm not moving too quickly for you, but that word is the word doxa. And you've heard we talk, you've heard us talk about doxology, or sometimes you'll see in the bulletin some churches when they sing, they stand and sing the doxology. It has to do with the, uh, the glory or the praise uh, or whatever. It has to do with giving an opinion, making a judgment, or stating a view in the New Testament is always a good opinion when it has to do with God. It can be used of stars, the, sh the shining, the, the, the glory of the stars or the splendor of their brightness. Here it's used of majesties like in the heaven, something which belongs to God or Christ in the heavenly realm. Uh, it could represent demons as well because there, there's a passage later on that seems to imply that he may be saying that they're the good angels, they revile the good angels and stuff. So it could be referring to, de to demons as well. But the point is that these false prophets and false teachers in the church um, do not have a respect for the heavenly things that they should respect for. They don't fear these things. They don't um, feel a need to be uh, reverential in any kind of way or kind of sense. And I, I you know, it's amazing to me, people talk even about the devil and about Satan, how they're going to bind Satan and do all kinds of funny things. But the Bible doesn't give us that authority. We don't have authority to go around and we can't command Satan and tell him what to do. And sometimes we think we can, but we can't. Sometimes people talk about it, but we can't. There needs to be an understanding that the heavenly realm is a realm that is really we, have, we don't have any control over it other than our response to what the Bible says, how we respond to the work of the Lord and to, to his prodding and to the work of his spirit in our lives. And so um, these guys treat heavenly things with kind of a common and maybe a flippant attitude. Um, Paul talked about... Um, the chain of command with angels when he talked about principalities and powers and rulers having to do in the angel angelic realm. When you turn to Revelation, um, you find, and you kind of have to look for it, but it's easy once you get started in there to see there are angels that do all kinds of things. You have, you have angels that stand in the presence of God and proclaim his holiness. You have angels that are seated on thrones. You have angels that are, are in his presence with trumpets. You have angels whose job it is to pour out uh, wrath. You have angels that are appointed as guarding the uh, Euphrates River and holding it back until a certain time, and they've been there for a long time. You have angels that are called the angels of the four corners of the earth, which seem to be angels that are stationed at the four corners that have uh, some kind of earthly oversight responsibility. We have angels that Daniel talks about that are that are involved with uh, 
uh, nations and with governments and even I think there are angels that are involved with watching over people. We're talking about guardian angels. I honestly don't know to what degree and to what detail people have angels guarding over them, but the Bible does seem to infer that there are angels that have this kind of responsibility and uh, that they are answering to the throne of God. One of the most, to me, one of the most touching scenes in the, is in the book of Daniel when Daniel prayed to the Lord. And it said, as soon as Daniel started his prayer, the command went forth from the throne of God for an angel to go down and reply to Daniel. Now that, in my opinion, is very powerful prayer. And that, that's a very strong evidence of the power of that man of God and so anyway, we have angels that have all kinds of power and authority. And whether we're talking about godly angels or demons, I think we need to have some respect for that realm. You see what I'm saying? I think it's just, I think it's necessary. He says, goes on in verse 11, talk about where the angels who are greater in might and power do not bring uh, reviling, that is the word for blasphemy, reviling judgment against them before the Lord. So here you have, these angels that respond to that, and that they don't bring judgment against other angels, but rather if you turn to Jude, which we will probably look at in a little while, Jude uh, seems to talk about that the, the, command, the angel is, rather than bringing judgment, says the Lord rebuke you, the Lord bring judgment against you, and the Lord do that. And so it's a, it's a matter, I think, of just respecting the parameters and the authorities that God has placed in, in position and that we, we don't want to be too flippant or too casual. We are told that we can, we have access, we can draw near to the throne of God. He always talks about that. And uh, we can come forth. The King James says we can draw, let me see how does it word it now, it says the, come boldly before the throne of, of, uh, of the Lord. The, the New American Standard uses the word confidence, come before the throne of God with confidence. The uh, English Standard Version uses the word um, come with, um, I believe it's pride. I'm not sure if it's pride, but anyway, they, they, all, um, they all are saying this, that we can come before the throne of God boldly. I like the King James because that can, helps me to see it. And uh, I asked the question, that doesn't mean that we come flippantly. It means that we come to a place where there is potential danger, but that we have access and we can come. And I've used the illustration before of like the English gardens. There's some gardens over there that are very, very expensive with very expensive plants and they have a fence completely around them to protect them from people that would come in and try to steal the plants. and. One of the gardens over there, the the uh, state owner has these mountain, these uh, tigers that patrol the garden to keep it safe. Because if anything steps in that garden that shouldn't be there, they become a dinner for those cats. And uh, if you go into that garden when there's just a regular garden, you can walk through the garden. You don't have to be bold because there's nothing bold about walking through a garden. But if you're going through a garden that has these cats that are protecting it. And you have the owner of the garden and he holds those cats. He said, you stay there and they sit there and listen. And you go walk through the garden. You may be safe, but you realize you're in a place where there is potential danger. And you're going to be, you, you can walk 
through that boldly, but you're going to walk with respect. And that's kind of the way it is. We, when we go before the throne of grace, we don't come flippantly. Do you understand what I'm saying? We come with respect um, before the throne of grace and to find the mercy from God. And so these false teachers he's talking about, uh, though they are greater in number, they don't bring reviling uh, judgment against them before the Lord. Verse 12 um, Don't, don't know how deep to get into this thing because I'm actually doing review. In verse 12, uh, he says, but these, talking about false teachers, now this is, we haven't covered this too much, so let, we'll slow down. These false teachers are like unreasoning animals. Right? Now that's an interesting parallel between false teachers who are in the church and comparing them with animals, unreasoning animals. Um, that means they have no moral sensibility. That means that they are those that are not able to make moral decisions. We talked about a conscience this morning, and that's what they've done. They've worn their conscience down so that there is no conscience there to bother them. <coughs> they, can, they can kind of go, sort of, they kind of pursue their own perverted idea. Let me just say this to you while I'm talking about the conscience, I have become increasingly aware not just in the scriptures, but in my own life of how valuable and important the conscience is and how dangerous it is to violate your conscience. And we think that we can, we can do what we want to do or go our own way, but you never do that without it damaging your conscience a little bit if you violate it. And the more you do that, the easier it gets to violate it. And what does the Bible say? It says that, uh, that, that we, we obey the Lord, which enables us to be able to judge right from wrong. And, the more we violate it, the less ability we have to discern good from evil or right from wrong. And uh, that's a bad thing when we do that. And if we violate our conscience at that point, we might end up being one of those believers in the parable of the sower who, because of rich riches and pleasures and things like that, ended up being a, a, not a legitimate believer but a, a Christian who was a phony Christian and wasn't able to bear fruit, did not bear fruit. And so it's really important. It really is important that we are sensitive to the word of God and to the spirit of God. And we listen to him and that we pursue him. We need to pursue him, his word every day. And we need to pursue him not only in his word, but we need to pursue him in obedience to the fellowshipping of the church. And we need to pursue him in witnessing and living a holy lifestyle and trying to talk this morning about uh, looking at a woman for lust to be careful what we lust after and what we pursue and how we do that and how we uh, pursue the things of the world because they drown out the affection that we have for the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and we struggle with that. And that's, that's where it is. And so it's really, really important. These false teachers like unreasoning animals have kind of lost that moral sensibility. They violated their conscience. Uh, he says they are born as creatures of instinct. They are born as creatures of instinct, he says, to be captured and killed. Um, that's a pretty horrible thing to say, isn't it? That they are born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed. But 
that's what it is. They are they are raised, they're born, they're raised for the slaughter. And that's a picture that he has of those here, that they are raised for the slaughter. They are pre, if you will, pre-programmed, if you will, for destruction. They've got to that place where they are um, blaspheming and they, they're not able to control themselves. They have, uh, he goes on to say, uh, where they have no knowledge. Uh, remember that the natural man does not grasp or understand the things of the Lord. He can't. They've gotten to the place. They're not believers, but they're there, and they don't have that grasp. They don't have that understanding. They think they have that understanding. They're teaching things that are destructive and dangerous, but they have no knowledge of the truth. The way of truth through them has been maligned, and so they're destroying things, and they're upturning things. They have no moral compass, and uh, they blaspheme things that are sacred, and it's a really a very serious, serious thing. I'm thinking of... Um, Revelation, I kept thinking about that in Revelation, it talks about how the earth was deceived by the beast and the false prophet. And it said, it makes the statement in Revelation 13, 4, that talks about the people that worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worship the beast uh, who says, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him. And that was given to this one, listen, it was given to him. That means the Lord enabled this one to have a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority was given to act for 42 months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. That is those who dwell in heaven. So here's the beast with this blasphemy and it was given him by God to do that and to be able to do that, to be able to be a powerful communicator of lies and to be able to blaspheme the Lord and cause um, great havoc in heaven, if you will, between heaven and earth and just lead people astray with their decision. I'm thinking several verses that I'm just trying to pick through the rest, some of them to kind of conclude, conclude this. Second Corinthians 10, 35, uh, says that we walk in the says for we walk in the flesh we do not war according to the flesh for the weapons that's warfare instrumentation the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but they are divinely powerful that is they're empowered or energized by heaven they're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses now a fortress is a, is a building that is constructed to resist attack. It's not just a building, it's a building that is intentionally constructed to resist attack and to resist the onslaught of, of attack. And what he's saying here is that the weapons of our warfare are such that it is intended to tear down those, uh, those philosophies that have been energized by Satan. They're evil, they're wicked, they're false philosophies, and they've set themselves up and entrenched themselves in society and in man and in some religious systems and the truth of God, the weapons of God are designed to attack those fortresses. Uh, and he says, he says in verse five, we are destroying these kinds of speculations and every lofty thing that's raised against the truth or the knowledge of God. So that is the area of our weaponry. That is the area in the focus of battle dealing with the truth of God and the philosophies that are being waged 
uh, surrounding the truth of God. He says that we are taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ. And may I say to you that if we're not obedient to Christ, we won't have a knowledge of the truth. We have to be obedient to Christ in order that our heart is right and so that we can understand. You understand that. It's really important. If we're not obedient to him, we won't really grasp the truth. That, uh, that our understanding and grasping of the truth is in kind of a proportion to the degree that we obey him and we are following him. And so that's really, really important. He goes on to say in verse 12, um, <laughs> talking about the judgment, it says where the verse 11, the verse 12, these, but these false teachers like unreasoning moral animals are born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Literally, uh, they were, they, shall in the destroying that God is bringing upon the ungodly, they themselves will. That's kind of the focus here that Peter is doing, is telling us not only showing what the ungodly teachers are like, but the fact that they're going to face judgment, that they will stand before God. I, I, I think that Peter, I don't know if, he, I guess he has individuals in mind, and he's warning them in one sense, although he doesn't name them, so I don't know if he's specifically addressing anybody in particular or if he's sending these letters going out. The church is where this is taking place, but he is warning the church about these false teachers and false prophets that are in the church that are teaching lies, that are leading people astray. They're secretly introducing destructive heresies, and he is warning them that God's judgment is going to come. He says in verse 13 that they're suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. Peter is saying that these false leaders and false teachers are receiving the unrighteousness as their hire for unrighteousness, as their payment for unrighteousness, that they are they are reaping the harvest of their own destruction and their own um, depravity, if you will. They are reaping that harvest. It's almost like the, when the Bible talks about uh, the judgment of, um, well, it, the Bible talks about two kinds of judgment. It talks about the judgment that's the, like the, the day of judgment, First Peter, Second Peter talks about the kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men, there is a there is a eternal judgment where we're going to stand before God. But there's also a temporal judgment now in this life where Galatians, for example, Galatians 6, 8 talks about the one who sows to his own flesh or from the flesh reap corruption or death. That's a, that's a temporal judgment that comes in our life now. Uh, we think of judgment as being like physical judgment. If you smoke, you're going to get cancer and you're going to get sick and die. But if, if you are involved in worldly pursuits and other things like that. It cuts off your access to the Lord. You die spiritually and you end up drying up and you, you end up making excuses for doing not doing the things that you should do and stuff like that. And that's a form of, of uh, self-destruction. One that sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one that sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And we think we think we can sow to the flesh and yet reap a spiritual harvest. But you can't do that. And that very passage that I'm reading in Galatians 6 opens with the words, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this and this alone is what he's saying, he will also reap. If he sows to the flesh, then he will from the flesh reap death. If he sows to the spirit, he will from the flesh 
from the spirit of his life. So it's it's a it's a serious thing. Those two kinds of judgment are held up. Peter is warning mostly uh, this passage here about being destroyed uh, by the final judgment. But they are he's also talking about this this uh, self destruction that takes place now. That they they are leading people astray. They are destructive heresies. They are leading the church astray. They're destroying it. It's a it's a bag of of uh, bad worms, if you will, that's kind of destructive. Now we're going to. I'm not going to go with the next verse, uh, verse 13, where he says that they count it pleasure to revel uh, in the daytime. This is this. It's a good text. He's talking about that. He gives a list of things: reveling in the daytime, but these are strains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you having eyes full of adultery, they never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, uh, having a heart trained in greed, their children, their accursed children. All of these things point out the vileness of that. They revel in the daytime. Daytime is when uh, people should be working, not partying and running around. They're reveling in the daytime, self-indulgence. Uh, it's a practice that, by the way, in my studies today, I was just reading that the Roman society so, uh, frowned heavily on people who who have practiced uh, serious uh, perverted kinds of sins in public. They they had they permitted those kind of things in some of the back streets and some of the red light districts, but they frowned on that being out open in the public. But these guys in the church practiced some of these things in public, so they were really kind of vile, really sort of a wretched wretched bag. Uh, they practiced those things. They are stains. There are malignant sores, there are scabs, there are defects, uh, they're uh, reveling in their deception, that is, they're open in their indulgence as they carouse with you, as they, as they um, fellowship, maybe you could say they fellowship with you, they, they uh, entertain together with you, they are there. We don't know if they were involved in the Lord's Supper per se, but they were having fellowship with them. He said they are there, they're perverted, they have eyes full of adultery. That talks about their private life. And uh, that they they uh, they never can cease from sin. They can't stop it. They can't control their thoughts. It's a it's no moral self control. They're not pure. Uh, they are pursuing sexual perversion and adulteries. They are are their their life their their wake is polluted with all kinds of unstable souls. Uh, people that are deceived by them. They are spiritually um, hungry to distort and lead other people astray which shows how perverted they are. And they, are, they have a heart that is trained in greed. Um, their teachers exercise perversion, uh, lust that they have developed. They have uh, kind of a habitual pursuit of uh, pursuing and, and enticing victims and bringing them into their, their deceptive. I don't know why people do that, but they do. They're, they are those who are cursed of God, their children, uh, their wicked teachers, their uh, show themselves to have be cursed by God. They are destined for eternal punishment. I can remember uh, when I was a boy in Wake Forest, um, we would drive through town on some occasions and we'd go by Shortage, which was a pool hall. And uh, sometimes dad would talk about those guys that's sitting out there. They are just made for destruction. They're going to be in trouble. They have they have no real moral direction in their life, and they're just going to be. I used to go there all the time. <laughs> we used to 
nothing out. But God is merciful. God is merciful because that that uh, I could have gotten in serious trouble. They used to Wake Forest because it was a, a town that was founded by a Baptist college. It was a dry town, and for a while the county part of it was dry. But you could go to Shorters, you go in the back, you get a, a drink from a, I think it was a Canadian. I think it was a Canadian club. You could, if you wanted to, but I didn't do that. But I did shoot pool. Used to gamble a little bit, lose money. But God is faithful to take lives like mine that are aimed in such a wrong direction, in such a perverted direction, and turn us around. Peter is warning us here about these false teachers and the dangers that they are and the destruction that they cause. And we need to listen. And we need to be warned, too, because we can fall into that same trap. We have the truth. Uh, we know that we need to obey the truth. We need to pursue it. If we don't pursue it, we're going to lose it. And so we need to take it seriously. It's really serious.